going to start ranking them. I'm going to go. So are we? Hang on. Are we ranking Brady's performance in the Super Bowl or the game itself? No, the game itself, the meaning of the game, the stake okay. of the game. You know, just the the the. Well, whole that's a, that's a lot because I, I was going to say one last takeaway on the game itself. That wasn't a good game. Like aside from the Brady angle, like let's say that's just a Week Twelve game, like Sunday Night Football. We're coming away talking about what a disappointing game that was. Yeah. If you don't have a rooting interest in that game, that was a very boring football game. Especially in the second half where both yeah. teams kind of bogged down a little bit. I mean, you were kind of waiting for the Chiefs spark and it felt like for a bit maybe they could come back and it was almost 28 to 9 at the end of the third quarter, which was the same score in the Falcons Super Bowl, but there was really no, there was no drama. There was none. After the first quarter, you had the Bruce Arians mess up at halftime, which was hilarious, but there was, there was no drama. There was no hook there. Alex is calling it the everybody else is calling it the Andy Reid mess up by calling a timeout there, and Alex is calling it the Bruce Arians. Because well, Bruce, Bruce Arians got bailed out. I said Andy Reid was worse, but he lost. Everybody knows that. I don't need to bring attention to that. I need to bring attention to the fact that Bruce Arians, with Tom Brady at quarterback in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, wanted halftime instead of a one minute drill. I don't want to. Belichick would never do that. I, I don't want to get him ranting again. So let's rank these Super Bowls where he can rant about something else. Number seven on this list, I think that this was a low-key kind of cementing the legacy type of game for that Patriots dynasty, but Super Bowl 39 against the Eagles, I think, is is number seven. For Brady himself, not he didn't win MVP. Deion Branch won MVP. I don't even think he was second in the, in the running for MVP. I think Rodney Harrison was probably uh, – had a better game or a better chance of winning MVP in that game as well. But there was that one throw that I always think is a little bit underrated, the touchdown pass to David Givens right before yeah. halftime, where he throws it all the way across the field, and, and Givens got to tap the toes on, on the uh, on the it's end line. Antonio there. Holmes catch before San Antonio Holmes did it. Yeah, that was a very, very – just a, the, ge- the geography of that throw was a lot more difficult. Geometry? Geometry, thank you. Not maps. Geometry of that throw was a lot more difficult than maybe it looked like on, on paper, you know, only a four yard touchdown, but that was the first time the Patriots scored in that game. They were down seven, nothing. There was only about a minute left in the half. They score there. Uh, they, they go on a run in the second half. They hold off a little bit of a late comeback attempt by Philadelphia. Not much, but Super Bowl 39, again, it's the third one. It's the dynasty game, but not necessarily. I, I don't think up there for Brady right now. Do you just want to go through the whole list and I'll con- – because I don't know what the rest of them are. So why don't you just okay, kind of r- rattle them off here. So it's Super Bowl 38 versus Carolina, which I think is an underrated game, by the way. Just a great back-and-forth type of battle. That was number six on my list just because I, I think that there's games that have, have passed it since. But if you go back and actually watch that game, that was a really entertaining game. And Carolina hung in there for a really long time. And if John Casey doesn't kick the ball out of bounds on that final possession – who knows, right? You know, who- it was it was six nothing after a quarter, and then both teams scored in the thirties. Like it yeah. was it just turned into a barn burner. Yeah, and I believe it was Musa Muhammad, uh, not Steve Smith, who has the longest touchdown from scrimmage. Not the, uh, James Harrison's touchdown was the longest touchdown period, I think. But Musa Muhammad's, I think, is the longest touchdown pass in Super Bowl history. That sounds right. Yeah, and yeah. that was a really uh, great game. Then I had uh, Super Bowl Fifty Three, the last one with the Patriots. Just it was this low. I think it's higher in terms of the legacy conversation, but it was this low just because of a, it was a dud of a game. I mean, let, let's face it, unless you really, really like defensive football, that was a not a very exciting game. I have this one, Super Bowl 55, at four. Um, 
you know, new team blows out Mahomes. You know, there there's a lot to like there, but I still think it's it, it's kind of behind some of these other ones. Number three, the first one, Super Bowl thirty six. Certainly, the the you know, the coming of age moment for Tom Brady you know, really put him on the map. And uh, that final drive, hitting Troy Brown across the field, uh, Jermaine Wiggins, a really underrated catch to just get them a little bit closer into field goal range. J.R. Redmond, I believe it was, had some catches out of the backfield on that drive as well to get things going. That's number three. Uh, Super Bowl Forty Nine, defeating the Lob. That that's number two. I just think that the talent on both sides of the ball for both teams, if you look at those rosters, one through 53, that's one of the best Super Bowls of all time in terms of pure talent on both teams. Uh, that, that's right up there with, with some of the old-time Super Bowls where you had a bunch of Hall of Famers on, a, on either team. Number one, 28-3. to three. I, I don't think you can ever top 28-3. to three. I know it wasn't the best Brady half, at least, or – Two and a half quarters, really, but just in terms of the comeback and everything like that, it's hard to argue that that's the top one. I think. Yeah. So again, I mean, if we're talking about you know Brady's individual performance, I, I, I think you more or less have it. I'd put the Carolina one probably above LA if you're just talking about Brady's performance and talking about you know what was the most entertaining game, what was the best game to watch. I think Seattle has to be one, and then twenty eight three, just because twenty eight three was a blowout for a half. And then I, 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 you know, I'd move the Carolina one up. I'd put the Tampa Bay one at the bottom in terms of most entertaining games because that, again, was not a very entertaining game. I just, I, I still think 36 gets slept on too much. And it's not that what Brady did in the other games wasn't incredible. But first off, the first one's different. There's something, and guys have said this when you, right, the Tampa Bay players were saying all week that Brady was kind of preparing them for what to expect. That first Super Bowl hits different because you don't know what to expect. Yeah. And he overcomes that. The the late game drive, which he, again, he hadn't really had to do something like that before. I still think, and maybe this year's Chiefs team is in the conversation, but I still think the, the 2001 Rams are the best team, all-around team he ever played in a Super Bowl. That's I still think that. really good, too. Which team? The Seattle team is really, really the good. Seattle team's up there, and, and, and Kansas City's up there, too. But I, those teams... When you prepare for those teams, right, in, in terms of the full team effort, those teams were created – or those teams existed in the NFL that Tom Brady created, right? I don't know and, – and Patrick Mahomes is certainly leaving his mark on the game of football, but nothing really ever changed the NFL like Brady and Manning did in the early 2000s. So we look at the 2001 Rams now, and if they existed now, I mean, they're a good team, but – I don't think people understand. I think the 2001 Rams exist now. They average 40 a game. I mean, oh, for sure. Them, right? You know, they which, can't which, do the Marshall Falk game plan in 2020. That's that's a holding call or a DPI or something every single time, you know? That's part of the point. I think people look at that team and think, oh, they had a good pass-catching running back. They had a couple of really good receivers, a good quarterback. Like that, they look at them like the Chiefs, right? Like you might look at the, what the Saints were supposed to be before Breeze Arm fell off. They don't comprehend, I don't think a lot of people, especially our age, comprehend what a unicorn that Rams team was at the time. That wasn't how football teams were built. You didn't throw to your running back five to ten times a game. You didn't put a ton of emphasis on getting multiple wide receivers, right? You didn't, like, teams didn't run 11 personnel. You were in 12, you were in, in 12 or 21 most of the time. Those were the base sets. You either had two tight ends or you had a fullback. Your base set was I form. 
They came out in 11 personnel. They threw the ball to the running back. They threw the ball 35 to 40 times a game. This all sounds right now like, yeah, duh, of course they did. That's football. That didn't exist at the end of the time. Brady was going up against a special, different kind of team that ultimately turned into the kind of team he would make normal in the NFL. But I just, I, I think that game and that performance and everything around it, it being his first, I, him being hurt the week before and not being named the starter until Wednesday, the team he was playing, I just think that one gets slept on too much because there was so much unique about that one that he never had to deal with again that I think that one is is truly still special. Yeah, and he had some really great throws in that game too. The David Patton touchdown is one of my yeah. favorite Brady highlights. That ball well, well, you can't tell the story of the David Patton touchdown. The coolest part about it is – they ran this exact same play the week before with Bledsoe against Pittsburgh, and you get, like, the exact same frame for frame, the exact same thing plays out. Because at the time, Brady wasn't Brady yet. Brady and Bledsoe were kind of the same thing, and you really see it's the exact same thing. And you can see how kind of Brady looked. That whole team, that whole year, and I heard Ted Johnson talking about this on the radio over the weekend, that whole year, that whole Patriots team succeeded on the idea that Bledsoe wanted Brady to succeed. Yeah. That was the whole catalyst for that team. And you see it in those two plays. You can see just how much Bledsoe worked with Brady, how much he helped Brady, how much the guys around him, right? There was no schism in the locker room. Nothing like the Eagles with Wentz and Foles, right? Everybody was fully on board for what was happening. No matter what happened, you see it in those plays. And that's the that's the other reason that Super Bowl 36 was special. How often in the Super Bowl is a quarterback playing for his job? We don't know for sure that Brady was, but it's not unrealistic to think he may have won. People that won the Super Bowl thought that they should go back to Bledsoe in 2002. Right. This was a if we were you know took a time machine back to 2002, our show right now would be Brady or Bledsoe, right? right. That that would be the conversation. And the other thing is, is I remember I'll never forget inside that tunnel when Brady's like smacking guys on the head and he's going nuts. And I, I believe it was Willie McGinnis that get went up to him and was like calm down, right? Just, just yeah. calm down. And that was kid Brady, right? That was, right. that was kid Brady. And by the end of that game, he was no longer kid Brady. I feel like he, he, he had sort of cemented himself, but yeah, that throw to David Patton was special. Uh, you know, the, the game winning drive and John Madden on the broadcast says, I play for overtime. You know, and you again, got quarterback, you, 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 you got, you're going up against this team that you're t- 10 point underdogs to. You're lucky to be here. Uh, don't, don't chance it. And it was that one check down to J.R. Redmond that gained like 10, 11 yards that got the drive started. And all of a sudden they put together a couple of plays and, and John Madden's like, well, now I sort of like what the Patriots right. are doing, right? And he sort of changes his mind mid drive. That to have the balls in the guts to allow Brady to put that drive even together, and yeah, you had Adam Vinatieri, so you knew you only had to get within field goal range was fifty five yards and in, and you're in a dome, so it's right. it's really you know you you know that you only have to get about thirty yards, but still to have the balls, I don't know. It, at that point in Brady's career, because we're not talking about a Patrick Mahomes. We're not talking about a guy that threw 50 touchdown passes as, in his first year as a starter, right? We're talking about a guy that took a few years to, to sort of become who he, at, who he is now. It, I think and, and run what, the ball there and run out the clock and go to overtime. One more piece of context about that drive, too. You know, and again, this is where I think because of everything Brady's done since that game gets minimized because he's made it look so common, but – no team had ever won the Super Bowl on the final play. Forget the final drive on the, or, 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 
right? There had never been anything like that done in the Super Bowl. We think now, oh, he came back from down 28-3. The 10-point comeback against Seattle in the fourth. He kept setting the, the comeback benchmark in the Super Bowl. I think he said it. Yeah, he said it three times because they come back. Uh, no team had ever won when trailing by seven in the fourth quarter. Uh, or, or there was some stat against the Rams. No team had ever won on the last play. He does that. No team had ever won trailing by ten. They do that against this, the 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 Seahawks, and then of course twenty eight three. There was no, I mean, nothing like that. That was a movie. The Super Bowl coming down to the last play that only happened in movies. There was no concept of anything like that happening. And then, like you said, to take this kid who was a kid who didn't have a dynamic arm, who, yeah, he had a couple of of clutch drives in the regular season, but this is completely different, and go on that march, and for him to execute it so perfectly, we think now that's light work for Tom Brady, right? I said that about the halftime of of the most recent game. That was so unprecedented and unheard of at the time. It was the storybook ending. Now it's like, oh, cool, Tom Brady came back in the Super Bowl again. That's neat. Like, Back then, nobody had ever seen that. So that that's just why I think, you know, winning seven Super Bowls is an incredible legacy, obviously. Winning the first three is an incredible legacy if he stops after that. But it's the way he won the games. He's it's won the it. way it's he did it. At this point. Right, he needed, he needed the blowout for bingo. I tweeted yeah. that during the game. But yeah, he's won it nobody everywhere. had ever seen anything like that at the time. So that, again, I, just, I think that one gets slept on too much because – Everything that's happened since, both with Brady and with the NFL, has kind of thrown the context out of whack. But if you try to put yourself back in 2000, February 2002 and look at the game through that lens and who that Rams team was and what Super Bowls were like at the time, what offenses were like at the time, what Brady was at the time, that truly may have been his most improbable win. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really feel like I put 36 at three. Only reason why I put 36 at three was because I feel like that game was definitely more about the game plan on defense. Sure. And, and Tylaw and Willie McGinnis and Richard Seymour and, and those guys and what they were able to do on that side of the ball. Whereas 49 and 28 to three was Brady in a comeback, putting the team on his back and bringing them back. Right. And right. I think that you will never, in my opinion, in terms of going up against a, a deficit and an all-time defense in the lob that that's that's just such a, a a insurmountable thing for most people. Not only had nobody done it at the time in terms of the, the comeback itself and in terms of the point spread, but now you're doing it against what people were calling the best defense of the modern era in the NFL, right in their primes. Now a lot of those Seahawks players now are, are downplaying it, saying they were all injured and stuff. No, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, that was. The Legion of Boom. That was prime Legion of Boom that had just blown out Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl the year before. Just destroyed Peyton Manning and a really good Broncos offense the year before. And Brady brings them back down from double digits in the fourth quarter for a victory. He needed the Malcolm Butler interception, I guess, at the end to to really – but ultimately that was the Brady – Mona Lisa, in my mind. I mean, the fourth quarter is the best quarter of football any quarterback's ever played. It's it's right up there. Maybe even right. right. I I think it's better than twenty eight to three two because he didn't have the turnover worthy plays necessarily. You know the the Edelman catch in twenty eight to three is a a fantastic catch by Julian Edelman, but probably should have been an interception by Tom Brady. So they didn't have that one in in forty nine. It was picture perfect, pristine 
execution for the entire fourth quarter. I'm, I'm glad that we talked a little bit about 36, though, because that one is so long ago now that I feel like it, 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 we can just talk well, about it logically, but that, that is definitely one that needs to be in, in everybody's top three, at least. And that's the thing. People talk about it nostalgically almost as if it didn't happen. Yeah. Almost as if it's like some weird, like, 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 um. Parallel universe or something. It's like, the, it's like the prequels, like a non-canon prequel or something. But, and you know, naturally personal, personal feelings, I think, impact this too. Like everybody has their favorite Brady Super Bowl and ones that maybe mean more than others. 36. I mean, that's when I fell in love with the game of football was, was that, that Steelers game and then that Super Bowl. So that one means more to me. I think for, for both me and you, and it objectively wasn't a great game, like you said, but, Super Bowl 53 is always going to be one of my favorites. Right. Because I was there. I covered it. It was my first year on the beat. I was in Atlanta. Uh, we were on the field after the game, the two of us. Uh, so that one's always going to mean a little more. I, I have some personal connections uh, in terms of things that were going on in my personal life during 49. And that was as great as a game as that was. That's always kind of been elevated for me. So yeah. uh, the, the Panthers Super Bowl, I got sick at halftime. Believe it or not, seven to eight year old me got sick at halftime. So I had to wake up at five in the morning the next day and watch the rest of it before school. So that was always been a little diminished because I don't, you know, I, that's a weird memory. So I think that was Janet Jackson, right? It was, uh, yes, that's not what made me sick. Although that might be why my mom wanted to leave because I kept saying, I want to stick it out. I want to stick it out because we were at a friend's house. She's like, no, I'm going home. You need to go to bed. So I, I I didn't even see it. We were like running around in the next room playing our own little football game, but, um, So, I, I mean, I don't know if you have any personal, you know, with any of them, but I, I think it's totally fair that – because I tell people, oh, I love Super Bowl 53. Like, the hell's wrong with you? Right. I was there. It was a major moment for me. So, I, you know, it's to- – people are debating this, and it's a fun debate, but I do think there needs to be room for – everybody has different personal – relationships with with each of the games. Yeah, absolutely. So 53 is obviously always going to be special to me because we were the, covered it my our first Super Bowl uh covering it as reporters. So that one was always going to have a special place in my heart. 36 I was also there. So that one is, is definitely up there for me as well. Uh 9, 10-year-old kid sitting in the stands with his father watching uh, the Super Bowl and watching the Patriots win it. Uh, I will definitely never forget that experience and uh it was I would say the memories that stand out from 36 other than the game itself was afterwards just the jubilation and shock, I would say, of all the Patriots fans that you saw out. And I was 10 years old and I'm standing out there, you know, on Bourbon Street because my dad's like, I don't even care. Like, this is a once in a lifetime experience. Like, he's probably probably never going to be back here again. Right. So I. Eventually, it got a little bit too rowdy for a 10-year-old, and we went home. But the point is is that we were there, and I just remember we were with about 20 people, um, mostly family and and very close friends to the family. And just everybody was just in a state of shock that that we actually just witnessed them win. The only reason why we were able to go was because the tickets were so dirt cheap because nobody thought that it was going to be a good game because they thought every, everybody thought the Rams were going to blow the Patriots out. And it was right after 9-11. So traveling and air travel and stuff like that was really a, a different experience. So the tickets were dirt cheap. We all went down there. And I just remember – People screaming, we shocked the world. This is like unbelievable. You know, this was, that was the, at the time, uh, the greatest upset in Super Bowl history, bar none. So that one will always be special to me as well. And, uh, I think 28 to 3 will always be special too, just not just because of the memes and the jokes and stuff like that aside, but because 
I had n- if you told me that any team was down 28 to 3 in the second half of the Super Bowl, the odds of that coming back are obviously, you know, what, less than 1% or something like that. So witnessing that, even though I wasn't there or anything, it, we'll never see anything like that ever. Right. You know, that was a flash in the pan that we will never see again. So that, that, those are the ones that are special to me, though. I, I understand, um, having each person having their personal perspective too. And I, I think that it's hard to rank all of these and maybe we're a little bit biased, you know, not talking more about this Tampa Bay one as a higher one up there in the, in the list. Uh, but, but was it like the, the offense wasn't the best unit? Like the defense was better than the offense. The reason why, it, the reason why if we want blow to out. keep everything out of us, you know, all the biases out of us and talk about it objectively is he was alone. Right, he doesn't have Belichick. He does, he's not on the Patriots anymore. And well, if you if you want to talk about the season, then fine. But if you're talking about the game itself, again, the defense was better than the offense. Not that he wasn't good, but the defense was better than the offense. It was yeah. a blowout. There was no, you know, the game itself was signature. Did Brady have a signature moment? Like, what's the Brady moment from that game? What's going to be? It's going to be him yelling at Tyron Matthew. Like that's the yeah, moment. Probably yelling at Tyron Matthew. Maybe it as much as I. I Maybe the touchdown pass to Antonio Brown in the third quarter that, that put them up. I think it was, uh, you know, something like 28 to, to nine or something like that at that point or something. That, that was kind of the, the score that made it. The game was over basically at right. that point, even with just, on the other side. You know, you, you, you talk about the David Patton throw in 36. You talk about the, the, the throat of Rabel in, in 38 against the Eagles, the fist bump. Obviously you have the image against Seattle when they score. I think it was the tying touchdown. He does the point yeah. right to the side. That, was, sure that, was, the, that was the go ahead touchdown. I think to Julian Edelman. Go ahead. Yep. They called the play. I think. Maybe even on that drive, they called it earlier. Um, maybe the play before it was, and they, yes. they missed it. They Edelman got open, but they just the timing was off, and they missed the throw. I think it was on the drive before they missed the throw. They ended up scoring anyways. You know, later later on in the drive, but then they came back to the same play call again, and he points to the sideline to Josh McDaniels like, "I'm glad we went back to that." You know, right? <laughs> a good good call going back to that one. In 28-3, you, I mean, you can pick. You got four or five signature moments. Then against the Rams, it's the throw to Gronk. So, yeah. like, I don't, I don't know that the this. Throw to Gronk is like underrated in a lot of ways. I feel like of like, right. if you want to put a signature moment that capped the Brady career, even with this Tampa Super Bowl, that throw to to Gronk to set up the game-winning touchdown. That's that's his, uh, you know, that's his Jordan dunk, right? You know that that that's his, right. that's his moment. There was no, it seemed like in every Super Bowl, and maybe this kind of stopped with 53, but he was one-upping himself every Super Bowl. Yeah. I guess you could say without Belichick is one-upping himself, but just in the context of the game itself. I think new team. played well, but that moment, like that, that individual moment, I, I, it was, it was Tyron Matthew. That's what it was. Yeah. That's going to be, that's going to be the moment. And that, if you want to talk about the, which Super Bowls had the best Brady moment, then yeah, 55 is absolutely at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, and it definitely, I I almost can't because I, I think all year long both of us were conflicted about about Tom Brady succeeding, and yeah. we obviously I think I always wanted him to succeed deep down, but at the same time it was frustrating to see him playing in a different uniform. Right, I wanted him to succeed personally, and I think I said this on the show last week. I wanted Super Bowl Fifty Two. I wanted him to throw for five hundred yards and Bruce Arians to blow the game. Like I didn't, right. but there, there was some like there was some weird closure. Yeah. There. First off, there was Brady's mom in the pregame saying he still sometimes accidentally said, let's go Patriots. Like that, that was closure and I get why. 
I was thinking, you know, in the days before the game, are the Patriots going to say anything? And I was like, oh, I hope they don't because it's going to wreck me. And they tweeted it, and I suddenly felt like real, like that was closure. I didn't think that was going to be closure. There was actually some closure to that. And I, I, at the end of the day, I'm happy he won. And I mean, we'll see. The big thing for me, and we've talked about this off the air, was I didn't want a Peyton Manning Colts type of scenario where Peyton Manning really isn't around the Colts anymore. I mean, he's a Bronco. That, that's his legacy. That's who he is. And, you know, it would have been. I don't know about that. I mean, well, Peyton Manning here's the thing. Call for the Hall of was on the Indian. It was Jim on Jim Ursay's plane. He wasn't on John Elway's plane, you know? You, like, you can't say t- Tom Brady, New England Patriot anymore. We, we have to share him with the Bucks now. That just is the reality of it. And that sucks. That's what I didn't want. I'm happy he won, but selfishly, it sucks that we have to share him. Yeah. I think I wouldn't, when they did win the game on Sunday, I, I've, I felt a lot better about it than I thought. I thought I was going to be angry. I thought I was going to be pissed off for multiple reasons, not just just at Brady, but but because the Patriots let it get to that point and let him leave and stuff like that. That part still pissed me off, but yes, yeah, me too. But I definitely felt I during the season. I, I at times I felt more angry about about him succeeding than I did him winning the Super Bowl. You know, I, I think that there was definitely a lot of closure, and I think people should feel that as well and and recognize that you know he went to a really good situation and he was able to cap off the end of his career and hopefully and in this. The book is still out and whether this is going to happen or not, but hopefully we don't have to witness him limp to the finish like Peyton Manning did. Right, like ho- hopefully, yeah. hopefully the fin- even if he loses in his final year and he doesn't walk off into the sunset, like a, you know, a you just want to see him walk off and not have to be carried off. Right, you don't want to see him go out like Peyton Manning went out with a terrible season where he's but don't, don't you think and stuff that's, like that. Don't you think that's the only way it ends? Right, he's always said that he'll play until he sucks, and now he's talking yeah. about playing beyond forty-five. Like I don't, maybe it's not as drawn out as Peyton. And part of the problem was the Broncos were trying to preserve Peyton's legacy, right? Right. Osweiler, that was Osweiler, right, with him in that last year? Osweiler was the better option, but the defense was so good that they were still able to win games with Peyton, and they were were kind of just forcing it. Like, I don't don't know if that happens. Like, I don't think we'll be drawn out with Brady. I think he means it when he says he sucks, he's done. He's not going to force it. You're not going to see, like, a Brock Osweiler-type situation. I also don't know if he gets benched. I think if he, he plays like Peyton in that year, especially if he's with Arians, where they're gonna put him Blaine Gabbert? I think the most amazing thing about the whole thing, and, and then uh, we gotta wrap it up, is that he hasn't lost a, a, an ounce of zip off that fastball. Nope. You know, when you watch Peyton Manning play at the end of his, when you watch any Drew Brees right now, no. watching him no. at the end of the career, Noodle arms, right? Noodle arms. Can't can't get the ball there. Not that it was some tight window, amazing throw, but that touchdown in the second one to Rob Gronkowski when Rob Gronk breaks off the route. I mean, that's just a rifle, right? So I that's a zip, and then that's that's a ball that you shouldn't be throwing at forty three. You know, you just shouldn't be able to do that. Even at thirty (laughs) three, it's like. It's crazy that that we haven't seen any drop off in arm strength at all from him. Is is insane. I guess what it comes down to, and I know we have to wrap it up, so I'll try to make this my last point. Osweiler was a first, was he a first or second round pick? Like, he, was he that high? He was a high pick. I'm, I'm, I'm looked that up real quick while I make this point, cause I think he was high. The, the point being, the Broncos planned for Manning's departure, right? They brought in the next guy when Manning was still there. 
we all know that was the beginning of the end for Brady in New England, and he did not respond well. He ultimately responded well because he won the Super Bowls, but he took the Garoppolo pick personally. Does Did you look it up? Yeah, 57th overall. Okay, so top 60 pick. That was The yeah. plan was for him to – to he, he was the next guy. They had the next guy in place to replace Peyton. Does Arians, do the Buccaneers have the cojones, whether it's this year, whether it's next year, to draft the next guy while Tom Brady's still in the building. Will Brady let them use a quality pick on a quarterback who won't help him win immediately, or will he go in and put his fist on the table and say, I need a lineman, I need receivers, I need a running back, I need this, I need that. You know, that that's to me what it comes down to. When it inevitably happens, and it might be years, but when it inevitably happens with Brady, and he gets into that Peyton Manning situation, will there be a Brock Osweiler or will it just be some scrub? Will it be a seventh round pick? Will it be a, a you know veteran washout like Blaine Gabbard? That's that's going to be interesting to see. Is is you know Brady can only hold it off for so long. Do the Bucks kind of prepare for life after Brady at some point when Brady's there, or do they ride him to the ground and it's just like you know what if we suck for five years after this and we have no picks and we have no cap space and we have no quarterback, it is what it is. Yeah, and I also wonder at some point if you're Brady, like let's say he goes back to back with the Bucks, right? And right. he wins again next year. At what point do you look at it and say, I know he wants to keep playing. I know that that's where his heart's at. But at what point do you say, let's hang it up a year too early instead of a year too late? Right? I don't think I don't think he does. He's not gonna. He's not. He's not going, if he thinks he can win another one, he's not going to step away. Yeah, but I don't know. I just. At some point in time, it's like if you win eight, you already won seven. I mean, who's no one's going to pass seven, right? And if you well, win eight, he was going to pass four, and now Brady's almost doubled it. Yeah, I mean, no one's going to pass seven. I, I don't think anyone's going to pass seven. Nope, nobody was going to pass four. Nobody was going to pass. That's the thing. It's so unprecedented. Like you can't. Patrick Mahomes was the only hope, and now I, I, I don't even know if Patrick Mahomes is going to make it back to the Super Bowl. I, I don't even know if Mahomes was a hope. I don't even know. Because we saw him playing well, but he was in the perfect scenario. He's on a rookie deal. He has Tyree Kill. They've hit on all the draft picks. Right. He has Travis Kelsey. I like. I, I don't think Brady will accept the fact that nobody's going to pass seven or nobody's going to pass eight because he did it. So I don't think he'll accept the fact that it can never be done. And along with the fact that what what drives him ultimately, I think, is that is that insatiable appetite of I have to be so far ahead of the pack that nobody's going to catch me on top of the fact that he wants to keep proving people wrong and, and just kind of do this unprecedented playing into his forties. But I think a lot of it is like, I want to get so far in front of everybody else that there is no chance that anybody's going to pass me. There was a quote once, and I don't know like how much of a joke this was where he said that he still takes it personally that he was the 199th pick in the draft. He was going, well, no. So everybody's heard that part of the quote. The second part, and I don't know if this was a joke or not. The second part is that he's going to play until the NFL recognizes him as the first overall pick in the draft, knowing farewell that that will never happen. Yeah. And his goal is to, like, his ultimate goal is for them to rewrite the record books. And who who went first? It was like Courtney Brown. Yeah. Is for them to, who, by the way, played like two NFL seasons. His ultimate goal is for Roger Goodell to to erase Courtney Brown's name and have the history book show that Tom Brady was the first overall pick in the 199th draft or in the 2001 draft. That's never going to happen. It never will. But if that's his motivation, he's going to play forever. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, he maybe he can play not forever, but he could play till 50. I mean, especially if he's well protected, well, like he was in the Super Bowl, he could play till he's 50. I, I and here's the other thing: does renaming the MVP trophy after him? mean as much as being recognized as the first overall pick in the draft? Because if it was up to me, 
Give me, give me, name the trophy after me. I don't care what pick I was. Name the trophy after me. That's pretty good. Maybe that's what it'll take. Maybe once they name the MVP trophy after him, he'll retire. It's the Bill Russell MVP trophy in the NBA, I I think. Uh, It is. And Boston has two of the four championship MVP trophies. And by the way, they should, I don't know who the baseball one's named after, but there's a fair argument to name it after David Ortiz. So yes, the glory days might be over, but we're not forgetting about him anytime soon, and nobody else is either. Well, we can. I, I feel like Boston, in, in a way, in a, in a small way, is sharing in this with Tampa Bay. Boston, oh, I, the World Series trophy is named after Willie Mays. Uh, that, yeah, there's that, a case for Ortiz, yeah. but that's probably I mean, fair. You saw the ratings. I mean, it, the, the game did a better number in Boston. First ever three yeah. market Super Bowl. Yeah, so that that's pretty cool. All right, let, we're going to be back on Thursday where we're going to discuss free agency drafts and, and do all that kind of stuff. But we did want to go back uh, down memory lane with you guys today and give Tom Brady uh, his rightful due on top of the Mount Rushmore, both in New England and in the NFL and maybe all of sports at this point. He might be the best team athlete ever. I, I think I, you have to go back to, like, the ancient Greek Olympics and, like, Leonidas of Rhodes, who was think, a nude sprinter. Good, good, good pull. I think that, uh, you know, maybe Tiger Woods or, or, uh, you know, an individual sport athlete might have, might, you know, have a, a say in this, but in terms of team sport athletes, it's not close, right? Uh, at this Even point. with the individuals, nobody had the longevity. Tiger, Tiger got the Masters in 2019, but there was such a huge gap in between, right? Yeah. At least Brady was still making Super Bowls. Tiger was basically out of golf. He was pseudo retired, you know. Yeah. Phelps had three Olympics, but that's once every four years. He didn't take the, it wasn't the kind of physical grind that a guy like Brady or Woods has. Serena Williams, I I like is probably the closest, but again, the longevity, she's not quite there yet. And I don't know that the level of competition in tennis is what it is in some of these other sports in women's tennis. So those, if you want to talk about single sports, it's, it's Phelps, it's Woods, it's, it's Williams. But the other thing is, Williams, gotta mention, we gotta Williams, mention Ali, man. We gotta mention Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. So again, Muhammad Ali actually is probably the closest, but like with Williams, yeah. well, even with Ali too, this fits in. Ali's run was thought of as unheralded and then Tyson happened. There's been, I, I don't know tennis, but I know that Williams run isn't like unparalleled. Like it's great, but other, her own, like the sisters kind of cancel each other out, unfortunately. Woods never even caught Jack Nicholson for Masters. Right. And Phelps has the most gold medals, but he doesn't have it by a ton. And guys like Mark Spitz, you know, even, um, uh, uh, the, the Mark, uh, Greg Luganis was like comparable. So Brady's going to double up the next closest Super Bowl winner. Again, there's no, and he's going to do it in a modern era. He's going to do it in a time where like, like Russell or Ruth, where players were playing and they, they had full-time jobs outside of that. Like there's no, it's the longevity that puts Brady over the top to me in that conversation. Again, Leonidas of Rhodes won like 40 gold medals in like 135 BC. Like that, that's, that's Brady's closest contemporary at this point. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Leonidas is probably like five foot three in reality. And, and I think, you know, evolution has, has sort of passed Leonidas, uh, on here for for Tom Brady to take that. But as I mentioned, on Thursday, live Q&A, draft talk, free agency talk, QTB carousel, uh, getting right back into Patriots offseason, and that's where we're going to be um, for the for the duration, really, through the NFL draft at the end of April. So uh, thanks for, uh, you know, sitting around with us here today and uh, allowing us to take this trip down memory lane. But 
from now on, we will be heavily focused on uh, the Patriots and, and player acquisition and offseason moves and stuff like that. So until Thursday, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening.